Christchurch, New Malden, Sunday the 10th of September 2023, 9.30 service. Stephen Kurt speaking on Psalm 1. So how does God go about changing us into the people that he wants us to be? Both personally and corporately as a community. There are lots of answers to that question, aren't there? But one of them is by taking seriously more seriously than often we do, a wonderful resource that he has given to help us. And that resource is the book of Psalms. Psalms is a book in the Old Testament, in the middle of the Old Testament, containing 150 songs. And they're essentially prayers to God, covering the full range of human experiences and emotions. So when we read the Psalms, we find amazing joy there. And we also find utter despair. We read some psalms and we find fulsome praise to God, but we read others and we find genuine anger with God and frustration about what on earth he is up to. We find in some psalms a deep awareness of God's presence and we find the sense in others that he appears to be distant, unconcerned and uninvolved in the hardship of our lives. The Psalms, in other words, all 150 of them, they fit every type of human experience that we have. And providing the words to fit those experiences can really help us because it provides a wonderful resource to help us bring all of that experience before God. When we aren't able to put our experience into words, the Psalms are there to help us. They're a terrific resource provided for God, by God. And with the aim of transforming us, that's the reason we're given the Psalms. They're all part of God helping us to have a resource that will transform us into people who are able to bring all of our life experiences before God and then see his greater relevance to them. That's why we're having this series over the next couple of months on the Psalms, the first nine or ten of them. And it will hopefully lead us to be able to recognise more of their value and perhaps encourage us to make more use of them in our Christian lives. In a moment, we'll plunge into Psalm 1, which we're looking at this morning. But first of all, one or two other points of introduction about the Psalms in general. One point that I've already hinted at is that none of the individual Psalms contains the entire picture of our human experience and how God speaks into that. Each psalm in the book of Psalms comes at life from a slightly different angle, and it needs the other psalms to make that picture full or complete. And the order in which the psalms have been arranged is actually very carefully done. It's specifically designed to provide us with that balance. So to give you one example from later in the book, Psalm 22 is the great psalm of desolation and abandonment. Jesus quoted these words when he was on the cross, and it contains these words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you don't answer. By night, but I find no rest. They're really powerful words, aren't they? Remarkably frank words to speak to God. They express that feeling that we all sometimes have of feeling abandoned by God. 
but it's not the final word. We then notice that Psalm 22 is deliberately followed by the most famous psalm in the book, Psalm 23. That psalm which speaks of how though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God, the loving shepherd, is there with us. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. Part of getting the most out of the psalms isn't expecting every single one of them to be complete. It's not about expecting every single one of them to cover everything about our life. It's about knowing that precisely because they don't do this, each one of the psalms can speak with amazing directness into that part of our human experience that it does reflect. So that's one really important point about the psalms. But another important point about them is their poetry. Because the psalms are seeking to describe spiritual realities for which no human language is fully adequate, they tend to express this through the form of parallel statements. They make a statement from one angle, followed by expressing more or less the same idea from another angle, or with a different set of images. Now, remarkably, given that the psalms were originally written in Hebrew, none of this poetry, or very little of it, appears to get lost in translation. And the repetition that we see in the Psalms, and particularly this use of parallel statements, is all part of helping us to soak up what the Psalms are saying, and helping us to explore the human experience before God that they present. So what about Psalm 1, which we're thinking about this morning? Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, that Katie Loftman will speak on next week, they're deliberately placed at the start to open the whole of the book of Psalms. We had it read to us earlier by Alison, didn't we? So what is Psalm 1 particularly saying that we can reflect upon this morning? Well, with wonderful clarity, Psalm 1 basically presents us with the choice that we have of how to live. And the contentment or the blessing that comes when we choose the right way. So the wrong way to live expressed in that use of parallel statements that I spoke about earlier, is focused upon first. This is what it says. Blessed is the one, Psalm 1 says right at the start of the book of Psalms, who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. And what we're seeing there is three, in this case, poetic ways of describing the process of someone turning into godless ways of living through basically assimilating with those who live that way. Unless we do a lot of running or swimming, we spend pretty much all of our conscious life walking, standing, or sitting, don't we? And the psalm is using this mixture of images to get us to think about those people whom, in the majority of our conscious lives, are influencing us. And having it expressed with this mixture of images helps us to see more clearly than perhaps we would otherwise the constant pressure that's upon us to live in a way that falls short of God's will for our lives. Because the truth is that every time we switch on our TVs, every time we consume any bit of advertising that exists, Pretty much any time we engage with the world around us, we are being bombarded with messages that the best and most fulfilling way to live is one that puts God out of the picture. 
Life, according to these messages, is all about the acquisition of things. It's primarily about self-discovery. It's about self-fulfillment. And it's basically about grabbing the right to be happy whenever it presents itself. They're just some of the messages given to us by our surrounding culture. And part of the point of Psalm 1 is that they're really strong messages because they're so established. And what makes it makes clear right at the start of the book of Psalms is that the path towards blessing or contentment involves on our part a pretty major act of resistance to what the world around us is trying to push upon us. Now, when I say that, I wonder how that makes you feel. Most of us, however confident we might look on the outside, find it pretty hard to go against the flow, don't we? Whether it's in the workplace or whether it's in a particular friendship group, perhaps even within our family, it can be hard if some of those ways of living that I've mentioned earlier are completely normalised. If they're considered the only sensible way to live, it can be really difficult for us to stand up against them. But this is where the more positive part of this psalm comes in. Because what it reveals is that God has provided an alternative. So the one who is blessed, Psalm 1 says, is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. God, this psalm is saying, hasn't left us at sea in a world full of harmful messages. He's given us his law. And the person who's blessed, this psalm says, soaks themselves in that law, pondering it with as much time as they can possibly give it, and reflecting, therefore, on how God wants them to live. Now, this psalm was written hundreds of years before the coming of Jesus. But the New Testament writers present Jesus as the fulfilment of that law that it's speaking about. Because it was in and through Jesus that God's fullest commands about how to live and the power to obey them, crucially, was revealed. Those currently doing the Paul course will be wrestling over the next few weeks with what Paul says about God's law in his letter to the Romans. But in that passage that Nikki read to us earlier from Matthew's Gospel, we saw Jesus saying that he came to fulfill the law and the prophets and urging people to both practice and teach others those commands. And it's as a result of basing our lives on God's law, the psalm says, that we become like this. We become, it uses this image, of something like a tree planted by streams of water. A tree planted by a stream gains the life-giving water that it needs, doesn't it? It soaks it up through its roots. The psalm declares that a person like that is like that tree that yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither because whatever they do prospers. Now Psalm 1, and this relates to what I was saying earlier, could be criticised as being rather simplistic at that point, couldn't it? Particularly with that last statement. 
This is where, as I said earlier, we need the other psalms to balance this one. And there are plenty of other psalms that uh, witness pretty powerfully to when life isn't nearly as fair as this. The answer is partly to notice, though, that bit about the tree yielding its fruit in season. A tree that's planted by a stream won't yield fruit all year round, will it? But keep that constant nourishment going, and it's all part of ensuring that that will eventually happen. And what that's trying to tell us is that keep studying God's will for our lives. Keep thinking and trying to work out, using quite a lot of hard work, how God's word fits with our situation or circumstances. Keeping going, uh, even when that's quite tough and doesn't seem to be particularly getting us anywhere, and it will eventually bear fruit in our lives. That's part of the answer. But it also comes through the emphasis towards the end of this psalm on God's judgment. Living as God wants us to, rather than following all the pressure from the world around us, to live in selfish and essentially destructive ways, that's a step of faith. It's a step of faith that's prepared to believe in God's total commitment to upholding and rescuing and vindicating those who live faithfully for him and judging those who don't. And the tenses that are used in this psalm are significant. So it uses the present tense to speak of the tree planted by a stream being one that yields its fruit in season. And also when it speaks of the wicked being like chaff that the wind blows, present tense, away. When we live as God wants us to, there are numerous rewards in this lifetime. Just as when we don't, there are negative things that happen in our lives. But beneath this, and at a really fundamental level, there's the certainty of God's future judgment, which forms the really solid basis of us living for him in the present in the right way. That's what the end of the psalm declares when it says these words. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So Psalm 1 is essentially about the two ways to live and their destiny. It's honest about the amount of peer pressure that's around for us to live in a manner that's very different to God's will. But it also paints a wonderful picture of the goodness, the nourishment, the ultimate vindication and reward that will come to our lives if they're built upon seeking to discern and live out God's will. It's worth us thinking this morning about where the major application of this might be in our lives. Is there a situation at work, perhaps to do with work, perhaps to do with the treatment of someone at work, where we're under pressure to go along with something that we know isn't right, and where we know that God wants us to walk another path? Or perhaps there's a situation closer to home, perhaps something involving our friends or even our family, where we're facing the temptation to go along with something that we know isn't right. The answer according to this psalm 
is to have faith in God's goodness and to recognize the resources that God has given us and to seek to work hard to discern and then obey what God's word is saying about that situation. We can seek very specific answers in the Bible. The internet is actually really quite good on that. If you type into Google, what does the Bible say about such and such, more often than not, you can get really good answers. And often it will give you several bits of the Bible with what people suggest about it. But actually, the way that the Bible works best is when we don't just go to it as an emergency resource. When we're regularly reading, studying, and thinking about it. Usually with others, in discussion and prayer. Because it's when we're getting that regular diet of God's word that we're most like a tree that's next to a stream, taking in its water through our roots to remain healthy and in the right time bear fruit. That's one of the reasons why we've set up Sunday School for Grown-Ups to enable more of that to happen, but also we have home groups that meet regularly, small groups uh, of around about eight to 12 people who meet together to study the Bible together in homes, to uh, pray together, support one another, and so on. That's why we have connections, our women's Bible study group here at Christchurch meeting every other Wednesday. Do talk to me if you're interested in joining any or all of those groups. Because it's about putting down deeper roots into the God who's not only promised that he watches over the way of the righteous, according to this psalm, but has provided the means for us to do that better, to study, meditate upon, and put into practice, which is ultimately the most important part of it, God's will for our lives. Let's turn to prayer. Tim.